Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'd like to feature a conversation I recently recorded with Ron Cook. Ron is a global executive MBA format student in our class of 2020, and he is also a leader in two of our executive MBA student organizations, the Executive MBA Entrepreneurship Club, as well as the Black Executive MBA Student Organization. And he and I recently sat down to talk a little bit more about what attracted him to a leadership role with these groups, what he hopes to accomplish this year, as well as his advice for prospective students who are considering Darden. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Ron Cook. Ron, welcome back to the podcast. Brett, thanks for having me. Good to be back. So uh, this is your second time on the podcast. We previously had you on to talk a little bit about your MBA journey, what led you to Darden, uh, what you've enjoyed about the program so far. We've invited you back because you now have not one, but two student leadership roles. Uh, Talk a little bit more uh, about uh, the organizations you're involved with. Absolutely. First of all, shout out to my wife for allowing uh, those positions to uh, be occupied by an individual like myself. And uh, I think that the beauty of both roles is that they have a common focus in empowering people to think and perceive the world in a way that uh, maybe typically isn't uh, conversant in the broader society. So we talk about the Entrepreneurship Club for the Executive MBAs. that we affectionately refer to as MBEC. We are looking at business as a way of uh, expression as well as a way of, uh, I guess, conscious capitalism. So we like to see the world shaped into a better image uh, than maybe we were handed. And and, uh, what we affectionately refer to as BIMBA, the Black Executive MBA uh, Club, is we are acutely aware of the uh, imbalances that have occurred over time that have led uh, specifically the black um, demographic in the United States to have uh, certain challenges of uh, integrating into uh, predominantly historically uh, majority institutions. And we would like to foster community as well as push business and uh, conscious capitalism forward. So there's an in- intersectionality there that I like to uh, make sure that is painfully aware uh, that we are doing good and doing well and and cross-pollinating ideas. So let's start with MBEC. Um, Just the fact that we have executive MBA student organizations, to me, uh, is is an exciting development. Um, I think it's an acknowledgement of the fact that executive MBA students have unique needs and interests, um, particularly when it comes to clubs, organizations, networking. Uh, we also now have a critical mass of executive MBA students, enough students to, to warrant this kind of organizing. So let's talk about the entre- entrepreneurship club. Um, are, are you someone that's passionate about entrepreneurship? How did you choose to get involved with this club? Sure. So this started before I actually uh, engaged in the uh, LR1 so I connected with some of the folks who were running the organization. Uh, shout out to Amon, who's been great in handing the baton over. Uh, I think that connecting with Corbin and seeing all that he's doing all over the world with, I think, startup number three or four, uh, something into the infinite power. <laughs> and uh, they've been they've been instrumental in sort of helping me think through what Darden has to offer as far as resources uh, the needs of executive MBAs are a bit different than the uh, residentials. 
And uh, being plugged in to entrepreneurship, I actually was just joking with my son. And I had a very interesting middle school experience in that I saw that there was a need for lunch. And uh, the kids didn't particularly like the lunch there. So uh, I had a pretty decent, um, I guess, following for my lunches. And folks always wanted to know what I was eating. And I had hoagies that were, you know, draped in lettuce and exotic dressings and, you know, all these loads of meat. And people would be drooling and oogling my food. Uh, what I did a couple of days, I made a couple extra. And uh, I said, you know, if your parents have given you lunch money, you can give that to me and I'll give you a hoagie. And that started a pretty good enterprise uh, right there in the school cafeteria. Uh, I had zero cost of goods sold because my mom was funding my uh, supply chain. And I ended up um, receiving a letter from the school uh, to cease and desist for uh, you know competing with the state uh, food agency. So that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. Do you still have the letter? Uh, my mom might have it. That is um, a great startup story. And so uh, you go back a ways with your entrepreneurial passion. Sure. I think we think uh, we've talked about entrepreneurship a lot on the podcast. I think that we think that Darden is a natural fit for entrepreneurs. Uh, the way that you're encouraged to think what happens in the classroom, the enterprise perspective, obviously in the case method, you're put in the position of the C-suite leaders. Um, is that something that resonated with you? Absolutely. And that was one of the reasons that I selected Darden. First of all, the case method alone uh, forces you to be able to articulate your ideas uh, before a group. And that, that in itself is a leadership quality. Uh, I think that the way that we dissect other businesses and sometimes can be overly critical uh, informs how we think about our own uh, either employment situations or uh, businesses as well. So if we're thinking through the patterns of multiple businesses across multiple industries, that's going to seep in and change the perspective and how you view everything you do. Why do I buy things this way? Why do I take this way of commuting? Why does my phone only do this? How can I accelerate point A to point B? Those are all entrepreneurial uh, skills that I think Darden reinforces uh, another reason, I think, is because of the uh, camaraderie in the community. Uh, everyone can come up with great ideas, but the network is how you distribute those ideas and create an audience or a customer base to be able to uh, you know, receive monetization of those ideas. I think Darden creates the platform and uh, waters those seeds really well. And you have a, a group of like-minded peers, people who are interested in having these conversations. I think the people that choose Darden, you know, they're interested in problems, right? And opportunities and, and talking about them. Um, so when you think about, you, you talked about this sort of conscious capitalism um, and how there's this intersectionality between the work that you're doing with the Black Executive MBA student organization and, and the Entrepreneurship Club. Um, what do you hope to accomplish this year? You know, any, any kind of programming or, or networking that, that, that you're hoping to achieve? Absolutely. One of the, uh, I think, beneficial aspects of being at a school with so many resources 
is that there's always someone who can plug you into somewhere, anywhere in the continental U.S. and beyond. There's a resource there. What I'd like to uh, establish with the executives specifically here in Roslyn is greater connectivity to the resources that are distributed uh, within the Darden network, uh, including the alumni, especially in Charlottesville, and also within the D.C. Uh, community. There are several incubators and accelerators within the region that folks that are in our cohort could benefit from. Uh, with the Black Executive EMBA uh, platform, I'd like to integrate more entrepreneurship into um, that platform. I think that what's typically uh, viewed uh, in terms of the the mechanism of affinity groups is we all look the same or came from similar backgrounds. So, you know, let's let's hang out and and, and network. I, I think there's a benefit to plugging that network into the broader network and and uh, creating more velocity and exchange of ideas and and resources and these are folks that we're going to have relationships with for the rest of our lives. So uh, having black executives who are successful in building their own businesses is only going to help society as a whole. So uh, when you think about the black executive MBA organization. Um, and, and the group there. I mean, we've we've obviously been able to partner with the organization for admissions events. Um, the group has been great about sort of engaging with alumni and building these relationships. Uh, and you've talked obviously a little bit about sort of expanding the mission of that. When you think about your leadership role, um, and you say, "All right, we're going to get to the end of the year." Uh, what does success look like for you? I mean, how would you how would you define that? Sure, I would like for there to have been at least a uh, black business that's been supported, whether it comes organically out of our uh, BEMBA group or if it's in the the greater network of the BEMBA uh, cohort. For instance, how many times has there been a, uh, say, a black coffee company that had just as much uh, flavor and opportunity and uh I guess, uh, quality to be distributed throughout the, the, the U.S. as, uh, you know, a, a typical mainstream brand. But for whatever reason, the resources haven't met the opportunity properly. And uh, it would be great to be able to spearhead operations like that and uh, either put the wind behind those wings or to... Uh, create something new that can be distributed. And I think you can do that within, you know, a few quarters with the right minds behind it. We, we, we tend to bite off a lot here at Darden, and it would be great to have at least one business that's been either started, launched, or uh, accelerated by the May 20 uh, graduation date. Well, that's a that seems like an achievable goal. I've uh, been having some recent podcast conversations with uh, students that are launching ventures, um, and uh, it's always great to hear that because uh, part of that story is about uh, what they're doing at Darden, the people they're meeting at Darden. Right? You have essentially this consultancy available to you, and just the confidence that comes with with doing this. So, one of the things you and I have many conversations about a lot of different things. I've always been struck by the fact that you are a very deep thinking individual and a very curious person. Uh, so, you know, the things that you talked about here are 
big ideas, you know, not just capitalism, but conscious capitalism, uh, promoting business in an inclusive way. Um, you know, when did these ideas become important to you? How did they become important to you? Have they always been important to you? Sure. So I think I started to see that entrepreneurship looked different uh, in the media than how it looked in, say, my home. And these ideas have been important because I always wondered why uh, people who look like me didn't seem to uh, accelerate as quickly as uh, maybe others. And I, I watched uh, my mom ran a tax business for a long time, right, along with her other you know, jobs, which is, you know, I don't know, maybe the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree in that regard. And I would see her business and then I'd say, OK, well, these guys own a similar business and the economic profiles are completely different. Why? So that question mark led me to dig into business more and to dig into uh, the social constructs that I might be. Uh, unconsciously believing and buying into. So that led me to have a more challenging disposition towards those constructs. And what I see now is that there are ways that imbalance could be balanced. And it takes someone to raise their hand and say, hey, I'm not the only one who sees this. Let's Let's take some action over here. And I think that What's been helpful is that Darden allows that creative thinking and you get the tools to actually take action. I think that the seeds going back to when were probably sprinkled when I was going door to door in Oregon and I was trying to sell books. Okay, this is probably the least efficient way to distribute anything. But I started to understand that I could be doing anything with my summer, but instead I'm learning how to run a, a one-man shop. I mean, I didn't do it very well, but I know I could do it better. How does that happen? So uh, there's a lot of a lot in what you just just shared, um, and we have Darden faculty that are looking at some of those issues. Marilla Hernandez right now is looking at how. Um, you know, investors evaluate entrepreneurial teams and, and looking at bias. Uh, she teaches in the executive MBA program. Um, uh, David Tuvey just published a, a recent article about uh, people tend to think about entrepreneurs in uh, this kind of archetypal way, right? You think about the guru, the sort of genius, the gunslinger, these kind of larger ca categories. And um, entrepreneurs are not always that that sexy or classifiable. There's a lot of hard work in the background. It's an iterative process. Many people's uh, first idea is not the best idea, but you learn through all of that. Um, you know, we talked about your sandwich business. We talked about, you know, selling books. Uh, what are some other entrepreneurial experiences that you've had that have kind of informed uh, your, your thinking on, on these issues? Sure. Uh, you had an interesting comment in that the, the archetypal, the entrepreneur being a type. And uh, I think the gunslinger one is probably the one that's most, uh, I guess, propagated in the media. And I, I would almost argue that entrepreneurs are probably more risk averse. And it's about how you value risk. Do you want your income distributed among multiple sources or a single source? Right? And you need both, right? As an entrepreneur, I need to hire people, right? But at that at the same time, I don't think it's more risky. I think it's where you're placing your risk and how you mitigate it. And I think what's informed 
my decisions and some of the other experiences is that I was able to take a step out on something that everyone else thought was a little weird. And uh, I remember when I had just gotten laid off from a role and uh, I knew that my skill set was still valuable. So a couple calls later, I had my first couple of clients and sort of built a consulting practice based on what I was doing for another company. Now, most people would say, go find a job, right? And I'm thinking, well, if I was just doing that with a job and that was unstable, why wouldn't I do this for myself and stabilize my my own income? And we can talk about what that did to my social life on a different podcast. Well, the gunslinger uh, one, I mean, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, the model of entrepreneurship that we teach at Darden, I mean, there's many different approaches, but the, but the model that, that's taught at Darden is is an effectuation model, which is effectively a, a de-risking strategy, right? You you get your customers involved, you do what you have, uh, you do you do what your idea with the least amount of uh, sort of resources, you try to make, make do with what you have, get your customers involved early, try to evaluate product market fit, and have your customers help you figure out what your product should be. It is a very low risk approach uh, to entrepreneurship. Um, I've been fortunate to have a number of people on the podcast who've talked about entrepreneurship and uh, uh, particularly David Tuvey, Jason Brewster, some of the folks that are involved with the Batten Institute and the iLab down at Charlottesville, they stress that. It's like entrepreneurship is really not that risky when you first get started. It's not really that much at stake. You just have an idea. You're trying to figure out, is this a good idea? And, uh, it's good for people to hear that. I think um, particularly for executive MBA students, you come here, you've worked for somebody else for long enough. You know, that's oftentimes the motivator. It's right. You got the skill set. You got an idea. You got a class. You got classmates. Why not give it a try? Exactly. So do you think uh, you talked about your social life? Do you think entrepreneurship's in, in your future um, Absolutely. A- again? Absolutely. Uh, my wife knows who she married. So I think we've ironed out some of the wrinkles regarding the uh, entrepreneurial leap. And now with the tools and the skills that I've been able to hone here for the last, I guess, what, uh, 16 months or so? It's getting there. Wow. Uh, so th- th- I feel more confident. I think confidence has a lot to do with uh, what you think you're capable of doing effectively. And it also means that you have a, a means of uh, deploying that skill idea to a captive audience. It's almost as if, to your point, to effectuate effectively, you're going to need to know they want it, I can deliver it. And with that in mind, why not go into an entrepreneurial lifestyle and use all of the skills that I've earned from all of my past experiences and all of the networking and, and people that have poured into me? I think that would behoove uh my own future to give back in a way, add more to the world than I'm taking out of it. So you think that social impact uh, component would be part of your entrepreneurial path going forward? I think that it will be a component because of who I am. I'm not sure if my specific enterprise would uh, allot a social, um, I guess, component for uh, any specific endeavor, but I know that the profits that I would take from the business would 100% be redeployed 
elsewhere as they already are now. And I think that you can do good business without exploiting. I think that's the idea with conscious capitalism. Maybe you're not using that actual business vehicle to say 10% of these proceeds go to, you know, left-handed people who can, you know, sip tea with their pinky up. But you can use the profits in a way that are not just me, me, me. It's interesting the extent to which people expect that from companies now, right? So um, stakeholder theory now been sure. adopted by the uh, the corporate roundtable. You know, you start to hear more CEOs saying like, maybe it's not all about shareholder value. Sure. Um, and you see people scoring companies, uh, their interest in these companies based upon the values of those companies, the expressed values of those companies. Um I can't, can't imagine that's going away anytime soon. I agree. And I think that your investor base is becoming more aware that the impact of companies can have on the greater community environment and the stakeholders and all throughout the value chain. So if you exploit one piece, you're definitely going to pay for it. To me, that's just doing good business. It's not social impact. It's the way business should be. It's the way capitalism is supposed to work. I don't know if we've ever seen ideal capitalism. I think we've seen versions of capitalism that have been exploitive and the exploited typically don't have a voice. And so once it's discovered, it's like, oh, we need to fix this. So I think that's a reaction to the pressure from investors and customers, your two sources of, of capital, one retained earnings, one in and the actual uh, capitalization of the enterprise that are demanding we're going to do this well so we can beat our competition. You you can't keep exploiting and, and stay ahead. That's a short-term focus. Yeah, you think uh, so much of where, if I'm, if I'm a very large company with a global supply chain, uh, you have to believe that your customers are going to start putting increasing even more scrutiny on the impact of that supply chain environmentally, Uh the human cost of it. Where do these goods come from? You know, what are the conditions for those people? Um, it's obviously a very complex problem to try to solve. Uh, but I think just even thinking about it, even engaging with it, you know, and, and, and thinking about how can I make this better? You look at, you know, some companies uh, that have long been sort of active in this space, like Patagonia, for example, sure. uh, how people perceive that brand and the brand equity that they have um, suggests that there's a, a lot of future in that. Absolutely. So um, we always talk about books when we're together, and I don't get to talk about books as much on the podcast as I'd like. So I'm curious, Ron, you always got a few things uh, percolating. What are you reading right now? Let's see. I finished Welcome to Lagos, and that was a interesting. Uh, it's, it's fiction, but it's sort of discussing the machinations of, uh, spoiler alert, this team of ragtag sort of uh, importees into Lagos from other parts of Nigeria. And what was interesting about that is you start to see yourself in their thinking patterns. And uh, they end up meeting up with this high-level dignitary who's kind of on the hideout and ends up... uh, There's a lot of intrigue and mystique and mayhem that happens, but... I think that it's very telling what we think about 
corruption and what we think about uh, morality. And, and, and it, it tests those ideas. If you were in this situation, how would you respond? So that, that's a great one. And then uh, I finished the um, economics of, I'll have to remember the title of this one, but this one was breaking the, the cotton industry down into uh, the segments and all of the global forces that were uh, a part of the distribution. Cotton was the oil of its day, right? And so you, you get a really good picture of how fortunes were made and where the capital came from to seed the world as we know it now. And so it'll be interesting to see what the oil of tomorrow will be. That's, that's so very interesting. So a little bit of fiction, a little bit of, little bit of nonfiction. Absolutely. You got to keep a good mix there. So I'd be remiss if I didn't check in um, about last time you were here, um, we talked quite a bit about a, about a startup you were involved with in Kenya. Sure. How's that going? Is it still a going concern? It's a going concern. And it's interesting because uh, we will actually have a global consulting project in Nairobi with that startup. So that's going to be fun. We'll, it'll be a group of five of us that will be working on a uh, pretty large problem for that uh, business. But things are going well. Uh, a lot of farmers are signed up. It's still uh, queued to do what we said it would do. And uh, building out the, the infrastructure for distribution, uh, the government relations, all of the uh, distribution chains in, in Africa are pretty interesting. It's almost easier for someone from the U.S. to move around throughout Africa than it is for certain Africans. And I think that uh, with the new trade agreement in Africa, that will benefit uh, our little uh, interest out there. So lots of good things happening on a macro level. And then our little consulting team gets to dive in and become a part of that. So how did you get that to become a global consulting project? (laughs) Some really great people here at Darden were open to uh, my crazy idea. And uh, I connected the folks who are in country with uh, some folks here. And obviously, Lottie has been uh, a, a cheerleader from from day one, and she's she knows everyone. Every country we, every city we go to, Lottie shows up, and they're like, "Hey, Lottie!" So so she's she's uh she kind of rolled out the carpet and made the connections within Darden, and um, yeah, some really great folks that push that idea forward. And then I rallied the troops from the cohort and they were crazy enough to follow me as well. So, uh, Lottie Carr, friend of the podcast has been on here before. Uh, will likely be on here again. I get to go to Brazil this year, which I'm excited about. Never been there. And, uh, hopefully we'll take the podcast on the road to our first international podcast. Um, fingers crossed on that, but, uh, I'm glad to hear things are still going well. Have you secured uh, Chadwick Boseman as your spokesperson? Has that happened yet? We're still working on that. So uh, for those of you who uh, are wondering why Chadwick Boseman would be involved, uh, there's a real uh, Black Panther quality (laughs) to the work that they're doing. Um, It's a a natural-based fertilizer, uh, plant-based uh, that grows in select regions of, of Kenya. If you're starting to wonder, maybe this sounds a little bit like Wakanda. You're right. 
right? Parethrum, vibranium, uh, same difference, different word, right? Absolutely. So, Ron, uh, as you noted, you're 16 months in. Uh, graduation, you can see it. It's there on the horizon. What are you looking forward to accomplishing? As close as graduation seems, it still seems like the the little dim light at the end of a very long tunnel. I think that that's a good thing, though. I still have a lot to learn. I can see some of the things I've learned from Darden already put to use. I think I want to make the best out of the remaining courses. The electives have been great. Um, All of the global uh, residencies have been amazing. Still have India left, uh, have San Francisco, and then uh, obviously Nairobi. I'm looking forward to those. And I think at the end of this, I'd like to have said, I poured everything into the program and I got out of it what I said I was going to get out. And I think that what I'm bringing to the world outside of Darden is needed. And I can see that there's value that's already being perceived. So increasing that perceived value will only have a greater return on my investment. So it's cool that you're going out to San Francisco, too. Got some travel in your future. Uh, India, San Francisco for Raj's digital marketing class. Exactly. And then Nairobi. Exactly. Man, we'll have to, we'll have to just follow you around. We'll embed, we'll embed with you for the next, uh, next four months, next couple of quarters. Where's Waldo? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ron, um, thank you for taking time out of, out of your Friday morning. It is a residency weekend here in Roslyn. You've got a busy slate of classes ahead. Are you in entrepreneurial thinking? I will go hang out with Fairchild in moments. All right. Well, that seems like a great class. Are you enjoying it? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have the good fortune of getting to work closely with Greg here. He's our he's our leader in the in the DC area. Is very much involved with uh, DC strategy for both Darden School and the University of Virginia. Uh, incredible person. I, I think y'all might have a guest speaker today. In the we class. do, we do. Uh, a longtime fan, uh, Warren Thompson, will be visiting us. I think that's going to be uh, one of the marquees of the class and possibly the program. Uh, I follow Warren's career and. He's obviously a beacon for both Darden and uh, black executives and how he was able to build his his business up and what he's been able to do for the community as well. So very admirable uh, person and looking forward to hearing more here in class today. Well, Ron, thank you and have a great residency. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Brett. And that was my conversation with Ron Cook, a global executive MBA format student in our class of 2020. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we are all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. And until next time, thanks for listening.